Envision this. You're seeing a 65-year-old female with type 2 diabetes who came to your clinic for a routine follow-up. I feel pretty good, she reports, but I can't stop thinking about the kidney disease we talked about at my last appointment. I was so overwhelmed by what was said then, I couldn't even think of a question. But now, I have an important one. Is there anything I can do to prevent it? Her physical exam is unremarkable. Her blood pressure is 118 over 88 millimeters per mercury. What preventive measures would you recommend to your patient? Welcome to Audiobricks. This is Ed Barnes breaking down chronic kidney disease in your ears. After completing this brick, you will be able to 1. Define chronic kidney disease, also known as CKD, and describe its epidemiology. 2. Describe the clinical presentation of a patient with CKD. 3. Describe the most important causes of CKD. 4. Describe the main complications of CKD. 5. Outline the diagnosis of CKD including use of estimated glomerular filtration rate, or EGFR, and urinalysis, radiologic testing, and biopsy. And 6. Discuss the management of CKD including treatments to reduce progression and indications for dialysis. Part 1. What is chronic kidney disease? Chronic kidney disease, or CKD, is common in medical practice. Some of it is due to diabetic kidney disease, the most common overall cause, but there are a variety of disorders that can lead to chronic kidney damage and loss of function. It's important to have a systematic approach to this, since some of these conditions are reversible or at least able to be slowed by good medical management. We define CKD as a presence for at least three months of decreased kidney function, kidney damage, or both. Decreased kidney function is present when the glomerular filtration rate, or GFR, is less than 60 milliliters per minute per 1.73 meters squared. Normal is greater than 90, meaning less than about 60 milliliters per minute in an average size patient. There are a number of ways we can estimate GFR, but usually it is arrived at by the eGFR, or estimated GFR, which is calculated from the serum creatinine and other patient data. Less often, it is estimated by collected 24-hour urine for creatinine clearance. Kidney damage is identified by one or more of the following. Albuminuria generally accepted as albumin to creatinine ratio of greater than 30 mg per gram, or urinary sediment abnormalities, like cells or cast on urinalysis, or imaging abnormalities, for example, polycystic kidney disease, or anatomical anomalies, or pathological abnormalities on biopsy, like glomerular disease or vasculitis, or Presence of a kidney transplant. Importantly, CKD is not a specific disease. It's a constellation of clinical and laboratory findings that can be caused by many different diseases. In this brick, we'll compare and contrast the most common diseases that lead to CKD. Let's stop for a quiz. What is the threshold for decreased kidney function in chronic kidney disease? 
The threshold for decreased kidney function within the context of chronic kidney disease is defined as a GFR less than 60 milliliters per minute per 1.73 meters squared. Let's now review the terms used when discussing CKD. We've covered the precise definition of CKD, but let's quickly go over three terms you will also hear used in discussing patients with CKD. First, end-stage kidney disease, or ESKD. CKD progressing to the need for dialysis or transplantation. Next, uremia, a constellation of symptoms present in patients with untreated ESKD. And finally, renal replacement therapy, use of dialysis or transplantation to substitute for native kidney function in a patient with ESKD. You may also hear less precise terms like azotemia, which means any form of decreased renal function usually used when a patient has an elevated serum creatinine concentration, whether acute or chronic. As for epidemiology, CKD is more common in people aged 65 years or older, that's about 38% of the patients, than in people aged 45 to 64 years, which is about 12% of the patients, or 18 to 44 years, which is about 6% of the patients. Some of this increased frequency in older people is because the estimated GFR often falls below 60 when using the eGFR estimation formula, since age is factored into the calculation. Even in the absence of any obvious or diagnosable renal disease, many of these patients will die of other causes well before there are any symptoms of kidney disease. Part 2. How do patients with CKD present? Patients with early CKD are often completely asymptomatic and are diagnosed on routine lab analysis, like serum creatinine or urinalysis, or radiologic testing for another condition. What about when symptoms do occur? Those with heavy proteinuria or very low eGFR may present with edema. As the eGFR drops below 10 to 15 milliliters per minute, the body has trouble excreting waste products. For this reason, patients may also report increasing fatigue, dyspnea, poor appetite, generalized weakness, itching, or vomiting, called uremic symptoms. Let's pause for another quiz. When might patients with CKD develop edema? Patients with CKD develop edema when they lose protein, proteinuria, or when they do not eliminate enough fluids like in the case of low eGFR. Part 3. What are the main causes of CKD? In broad terms, CKD is characterized by a progressive decline in kidney function. The large number of nephrons, almost a million on each side, means that the kidneys are initially able to compensate for gradual loss of function in the damaged sections. However, these mechanisms are invariably overwhelmed as the disease progresses, leading to decreasing GFR and worsening clinical status. We'll now go over some of the main causes of CKD, starting with the most common ones. Starting with diabetic kidney disease. Diabetes mellitus is the most common cause of CKD in the United States and the leading reason for both dialysis and transplantation. CKD affects 25 to 30 percent of patients with diabetes and the general term for associated renal disease is diabetic kidney disease. 
Many of these patients have a glomerular disease characterized by slowly developing proteinuria, then renal failure, termed diabetic nephropathy. This generally develops after five or more years of diabetes mellitus. However, since type 2 diabetes may be present but unrecognized for many years, it is not usual for diabetic nephropathy to be noted at the time of diagnosis of type 2 diabetes or a short time after its diagnosis. Diabetic nephropathy starts as small amounts of albumin in the urine, then progresses to heavy proteinuria and progressive loss of GFR. Other patients with diabetic kidney disease can present instead with an increased serum creatinine without much proteinuria. These patients likely have microvascular disease. Moving on to vascular disease. Another cause of CKD is renovascular disease, which can be due to the large vessel disease renal artery stenosis, a common cause of secondary hypertension. It can also result from small vessel diseases like chronic hypertension, microangiopathy, or vasculitis due to polyarteritis nodosa. Next up is tubulo-interstitial disease. Causes of CKD in this category affect the renal tubules. For example, following episodes of acute tubular necrosis, as well as renal interstitium, resulting in decreased kidney function. Common causes include chronic renal obstruction, autoimmune disorders, for example, systemic sclerosis, toxic effects from drugs like lithium, analgesics like acetaminophen, aspirin, taken in combination, cisplatin, and calcineurin inhibitors like cyclosporin, reflux from the bladder that is seen in children, and chronic pyelonephritis. Another common cause of CKD is obstructive nephropathy. This occurs due to chronic obstruction of urine flow downstream from the kidneys. This leads to pressure on the kidney due to urine buildup, which in turn leads to damage to the tubules and renal interstitium, causing a chronic loss of GFR. Over time, interstitial fibrosis develops. Causes include benign prostatic hyperplasia, or BPH, chronic renal stones, and retroperitoneal fibrosis. Obstructive nephropathy should not be confused with reversible acute kidney injury associated with acute urinary obstruction due to things like stones or acute prostatic obstruction. These forms of acute kidney injury are often quickly reversed by placing a urinary catheter or other means of relieving acute obstruction. Here's another quiz. What are the renal consequences of chronic urinary obstruction? Reduced GFR and interstitial inflammation and fibrosis are the renal consequences of chronic urinary obstruction. Next, let's discuss cystic disease. The most important cystic disease that causes CKD is autosomal dominant polycystic kidney disease, also known as ADPKD. Over time, the cysts in this disease distort the structure of the kidney as seen on gross specimen, these cysts are large and numerous and infiltrate the normal tissues of the kidney. On CT scan, you can clearly see the cysts are large, fluid-filled, and have significantly altered the architecture of the kidneys. This process leads to a decline in GFR. Moving on to glomerular disease. Many of the causes of CKD involve the glomerulus as their primary site of damage. There are many glomerular diseases, diabetic nephropathy is one, and most show declining GFR and have varying degrees of proteinuria, hematuria, or both. 
Hereditary causes of CKD include ADPKD, in which the specific genes responsible, PKD1 and PKD2, have been identified and studied extensively. Alport syndrome is another well-characterized heritable form of CKD. It initially presents with small amounts of hematuria and proteinuria and sometimes has accompanying eye or ear disease. Part 4. What are the complications of CKD? The most common and some of the earliest complications of moderate CKD are hypertension and hyperkalemia. Others develop with more severe CKD as the GFR falls and patients approach the need for renal replacement therapy, for example, dialysis and transplantation. With hypertension, volume expansion and activation of the renin-angiotensin-aldosterone system can also contribute to secondary hypertension, which we see in most CKD patients. This can be very severe, requiring multiple medications. Angiotensin-converting enzyme inhibitors, ACE inhibitors, or angiotensin receptor blockers, ARBs, are preferred medications since they can slow CKD progression. Note that poorly controlled hypertension accelerates the progression of most forms of CKD. Careful blood pressure control is essential in all CKD patients, using multiple medications if necessary. With hyperkalemia, most patients with CKD will have normal potassium levels. However, when GFR falls below 20 to 30 milliliters per minute, hyperkalemia may develop. The mechanism is decreased secretion of potassium in the collecting duct. This can lead to fatal arrhythmias, so it is perhaps the most important lab value to monitor in patients. Cardiovascular disease is strongly linked to CKD, so much that CKD is considered a coronary disease equivalent. This means that CKD patients have as high a risk of cardiovascular death as patients with known coronary artery disease. CKD accelerates atherosclerosis, so promotes the development of ischemic heart disease and heart failure. The hypertension associated with CKD also will worsen these problems. Cardiovascular death, i.e. myocardial infarction, is the most common cause of death in patients with CKD. Bone disease and secondary hyperparathyroidism are also early complications found in CKD. Here, bone metabolism is altered, leading to a condition termed CKD mineral and bone disease. This begins early in the course of CKD, but does not usually become symptomatic until late in the disease. The pathologic findings seen on bone biopsy, which is not commonly done, are termed renal osteodystrophy. There are a number of contributing factors to this bone disease. First, secondary hyperparathyroidism that occurs when phosphate excretion falls, serum phosphate rises, and serum calcium falls. Next, Tertiary hyperparathyroidism that occurs when the parathyroid glands hypertrophy and secrete excess PTH regardless of serum calcium levels. Next, decrease renal hydroxylation of 25-hydroxyvitamin D to its active 125-dihydroxy form calcitriol with consequent hypocalcemia. And finally, high levels of fibroblast growth factor 23. Patients usually have high phosphate, low calcium, and high parathyroid hormone. 
All these together lead to bone disease. Symptoms like bone pain and fractures may occur late in the disease, usually after patients require dialysis. Next, let's discuss the late complications of CKD. As you learned earlier, advanced CKD is termed end-stage kidney disease, or ESKD. A number of the following uremic complications ensue as the GFR continues to drop. Starting with metabolic acidosis. As the GFR falls to low levels, the acids that build up as a consequence of diet and metabolism start being retained in the blood rather than excreted in the urine. This leads to an accumulation of acid or metabolic acidosis. It's associated with an elevated anion gap since the acids are not ones normally present in increased amounts in circulation. As kidney function decreases, the kidney is less able to filter and excrete sodium and water. Sodium and water in the body increases, which leads to the expansion of the extracellular fluid space. This can lead to edema, first in the lower extremities, then in the lungs, also known as pulmonary edema, or excess fluid in the peritoneum, also known as ascites. Note that this is worsened if there is also cardiac disease that's common in patients with CKD. Kidneys normally produce erythropoietin, which stimulates production of RBCs. In patients with CKD, this hormone's production slowly diminishes and anemia is common. Severe CKD also stimulated inflammation, which shortens the RBC survival time, contributing to the anemia. The anemia can be corrected by giving pharmacologic erythropoietin. As the GFR of patients with CKD worsens to levels requiring dialysis, uremic toxins accumulate in the blood and inhibit platelet function, leading to a higher incidence of bleeding, especially during surgical procedures. Both men and women may also have sexual and gonadal dysfunction in CKD, including diminished libido and reduced fertility. Many of these effects are due to accumulation of uremic toxins that inhibit hormone function. Men also can experience a reduction in testosterone due to the uremic toxins, reduction of synthesis in the testes. Prolactin levels can rise, leading to galactorrhea in women. Men may develop gynecomastia. These hormone imbalances are caused by several factors, including reduced excretion in the kidneys due to falling GFR. As patients with CKD approach the need for dialysis, a variety of other symptoms can be caused by the accumulation of uremic toxins. Among the symptoms are pericarditis and pleuritis, itching, confusion, nausea, vomiting, diarrhea, and peripheral neuropathy. Most of these require dialysis or transplantation for resolution. Part 5. How do we diagnose CKD? Think back to the beginning of our discussion. Recall that we defined CKD as kidney damage or decreased kidney function. Therefore, the diagnostic workup will be dedicated to discovering signs of these. A creatinine level that is elevated or an eGFR that is decreased less than 60 milliliters per minute are the defining lab findings in CKD, indicative of decreased kidney function. The eGFR is more reliable since the normal serum creatinine varies with muscle mass of the patient. 
there are many calculators available online that we can use to calculate the EGFR. Most clinical laboratories now report the EGFR along with the creatinine value. All patients with diabetes mellitus should be checked annually for albuminuria. An albumin to creatinine ratio of greater than 30 mg per gram or greater than 30 mg per 24 hours. This is often the earliest sign of diabetic kidney disease. Renal ultrasound can provide details about the size, structure, and consistency of the kidneys. It is useful in CKD, since it has its advantage of not using radiation exposure or contrast, which can reduce the GFR in some patients with CKD. Note that if a patient presents with a low eGFR, it is not always clear from the history whether it is old, meaning chronic, or new, meaning acute. An ultrasound can sometimes help, since CKD may show chronic changes visible in ultrasound, for example, smaller fibrotic, echogenic kidneys that appear more white on ultrasound, whereas acute kidney injury will often show normal renal parenchyma except for patients with obstruction they will have a dilated urinary collecting system representing hydronephrosis. In addition, an ultrasound or CT can sometimes identify the underlying cause of CKD, as in polycystic kidney disease. Renal biopsy is used in many patients with suspected glomerular disease. The tissue pathology often determines the treatment. Are there any exceptions? Yes. Biopsy is not used for diabetic nephropathy where the diagnosis is usually more predictable and can be made on clinical grounds. It's also less used in children with nephrotic syndrome who almost always have treatable minimal change disease and many patients with likely membranous nephropathy where the antiphospholipid A2 receptor assay is sensitive and specific for primary disease. Renal biopsy is rarely done when non-glomerular disease is suspected as the cause of CKD. Let's stop for a quiz. Why is ultrasound the preferred imaging study used in CKD? Ultrasound is the preferred imaging study for patients with CKD because it can provide information about the size and structure of the kidneys without exposing them to radiation or contrast, which would increase the renal burden. Part 6. How do we manage CKD? The management of CKD depends on the specific disease that causes it. There are some general principles of tertiary prevention, like avoiding the progression and complications, that we should discuss. So let's start with preventing or slowing progression. Blood pressure control is key to preventing progression of most diseases that cause CKD. Blood pressure of patients with CKD should be controlled to less than 120 to 130 over 80 millimeters per mercury using multiple agents if needed. Patients with proteinuria should receive an ACE inhibitor or ARB because these slow the progression of disease by reducing the high glomerular pressures seen in most glomerular diseases. SGLT2 inhibitors like canagliflozin, originally used as antihyperglycemic drugs, are now also known to slow progression of many types of CKD, especially those with significant proteinuria. The beneficial effect is seen in both diabetic kidney disease and non-diabetic kidney disease, so it's not to just an effect of glucose control in diabetes. Excellent glucose control, or hemoglobin A1c less than 7%, 
will slow the progression of diabetic kidney disease. As for treating complications, as CKD progresses, complications develop and will require medical management. Hyperlipidemia should be controlled with a low-fat diet and statin drugs to reduce levels of low-density lipoprotein and total cholesterol and triglycerides. Cardiovascular mortality is increased in CKD and use of statins decreases the risk. Bone disease is treated with oral phosphate binders, which reduce GI absorption of phosphate and decrease serum phosphate levels, and calcitriol, which increases the serum calcium levels, reducing secondary hyperparathyroidism. Anemia is treated with pharmacologic erythropoietin injections. This stimulates erythropoiesis and raises the hematocrit. Dietary restrictions are beneficial to most patients, such as sodium restriction. This helps with blood pressure control and reduces the tendency to fluid accumulation and edema formation. Some patients may also need dietary potassium or phosphate restriction as their GFR decreases to low values. A referral to a nephrologist for preparation for dialysis and transplantation should not wait until the patient is symptomatic. Patients should be referred earlier when their eGFR drops less than 60 milliliters per minute. They should also be referred to a nephrologist if their urine protein exceeds 300 milligrams of proteinuria per 24 hours, since these patients may need a kidney biopsy to diagnose glomerular disease. Another goal of nephrology referral is to prepare the patient for dialysis. This includes informing the patient of dialysis options and placing a dialysis access in advance. With preparation, dialysis can be initiated in a planned, orderly fashion rather than an emergency basis. In suitable candidates, the nephrologist will also initiate evaluation for kidney transplant so that dialysis is not required. Some reasons to start dialysis include pericarditis, pleuritis, sensory problems due to uremia, for example, restless leg or burning pain, persistent itching without other causes, confusion or other cognitive changes, hyperkalemia and metabolic acidosis resistant to drug treatment, volume overload resistant to diuretics, weight loss or poor appetite, or increased bleeding. Of these, volume overload and hyperkalemia are the most common reasons to perform emergency dialysis in the emergency department. The prognosis for patients with CKD varies depending on the cause and severity of disease. For patients with eGFR less than 30 milliliters per minute, 20% will require renal replacement therapy, and their 5-year mortality is 45%. These rates increase in patients with diabetic kidney disease, but even patients with more moderate CKD or eGFR, which 30 to 60, have higher mortality at a 10% 5-year mortality versus 5% in those without CKD. For patients requiring renal replacement therapy, transplantation offers better survival with a 4-year mortality of 30%, lower than with dialysis. Let's pause for a final quiz. When should a patient with CKD be referred to a nephrologist? A patient should be referred to a nephrologist when their eGFR is lower than 60 milliliters per minute or if their urine protein exceeds 300 milligrams per 24 hours. 
And that brings us to the end of our discussion on chronic kidney disease. Now, let's recap to see if we've completed our goals. First, are you able to define chronic kidney disease? We define CKD as the presence of at least three months of decreased kidney function, kidney damage, or both. Decreased kidney function is determined by a GFR less than 60 milliliters per minute and where kidney damage is defined by the presence of albuminuria, urinary cast, imaging abnormalities, pathologic abnormalities on renal biopsy, the presence of a kidney transplant. Next, can you describe how most patients with early CKD present clinically? Patients with early CKD are often completely asymptomatic and are diagnosed on routine lab analysis, serum creatinine or urinalysis, or radiologic testing done for another condition. Next, can you name the seven most important causes of CKD? Diabetic nephropathy, vascular disease including hypertension, tubular interstitial disease, obstructive nephropathy, cystic kidney diseases, glomerular disease, and hereditary causes are all causes of CKD. Next, are you able to list the main complications of CKD? The early complications include hypertension, hyperkalemia, cardiovascular disease, and bone disease with secondary hyperparathyroidism. The late complications include metabolic acidosis, anemia, uremia, edema, bleeding, and sexual dysfunction. Next, can you describe how to diagnose CKD? An elevated serum creatinine with a low GFR for greater than three months, urinalysis with albuminuria or hematuria, radiologic testing revealing echogenic cystic or obstructive nephropathy, or renal biopsy with findings of renal disease. And finally, can you name the drug classes that we discussed to slow the progression of CKD? ACE inhibitors, or ARBs, are used to relieve the pressure on the glomeruli and lower systemic blood pressure. SGLT2 inhibitors are used to lower blood glucose in diabetic patients and are also known for to slow the progression of many types of CKD, especially those with significant proteinuria. And that's it. Armed with your newfound knowledge of chronic kidney disease, let's get back to the patient from the beginning of this episode. Your patient is a 65-year-old female with type 2 diabetes with a recent diagnosis of kidney disease and stable vital signs. She asks you if there are preventive measures that you can recommend to slow the progression of her CKD. You answer your patient's question by emphasizing the importance of good control of blood glucose and blood pressure, and you congratulate her on her recent excellent test results. You also review the importance of good cholesterol control, which in her case can reduce the risk of heart disease. You recommended that she restrict the sodium in her diet and exercise regularly. 
You're doing a great job so far, you tell her. She explains that she understands your explanation and is encouraged to continue taking good care of herself. And that's it for our show. Make sure to like and subscribe if you like what you hear, and remember, your feedback helps us improve. You can enjoy the Fulbrook experience online at www.usmle-rx.com, complete with illustrations, questions, flashcards, and active learning. So go check that out if you haven't already. Until next time, 